Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'd like to dismiss the children this morning because they've already been dismissed. They are meeting all morning for... Uh, Palm Sunday, they're doing a special Seder celebration that Susie and the leaders have put together for them. And at the end of the service today, we are going to be um, giving to you, I, I think it's, I can't remember exactly if it's the young people or the leaders, are going to be passing out for you to take home a, a, palm, a palm Sunday a reminder. It'll be a palm, uh, just a palm from like this, but it won't look like this. It'll be just, uh, it won't look like this. It'll look like this, and you are going to have instructions, and you can put that together with your family at home. You just get one per family. We've got plenty. Take one per family and uh, go home and uh, put this together and uh, be used as a reminder for Palm Sunday. So don't forget, as you leave today, you'll be getting that. And uh, we'll, we'll see how Kevin's comes out along with his new baking project. <clears throat> uh, maybe Kevin and Gary and I should have a bake-off. We could all go on Pinterest, according to Molly, and learn how to bake. So, or I could get my mother's old cookbook out, Betty Crocker, right? And that's about 100 years old, and I could learn to bake that way too. But we won't do that. Okay, uh, let's see. Where's last week's memory verse? Are we ready to go there, Cliff? All right. Say it with me. Let's say the scripture first, the verse, and then the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Now I'm going to try to blank the screen. You can just blank it for me. I don't want to mess up here. Thanks. Okay. Can you blank the screen? There we go. Okay. And I'm not cheating. It's not back there either. Let's say it again. And uh, remember, it's easy because the, the three main clauses are introduced by the word that. Okay? All right. Let's say it nice and slow with me. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again according the third day according to the Scriptures. All right, give yourselves a hand. Don't clap for me. I goofed up. All right. <clears throat> Thank you so much for sharing with that in uh, the memory verses. If you haven't been doing it, you can join us anytime. We have the list in the back there. We have the cards we have printed. And uh, we are wrapping up the series right now on salvation. Our first series was on the attributes of God. And we have been focusing on the important Bible scriptures for salvation. Palm Sunday. Uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 12. And <coughs> let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we open your word. Uh, we do pause to just uh, thank you for the freedom we have to come and open your word, to share it, to preach it, to teach it to our youth, teach it to our children. And we pray, Lord, we would never uh, take it for granted. And that as we learn from your word, it would imp- 
impact our walk with you, our relationship with you, and our desire to see others come and receive this wonderful gift. We have, we have sung this morning that you are welcome us, you welcome us with arms wide open. And uh, we as a humble people accept that this morning, and we just thank you for welcoming us into your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Palm Sunday, in John, uh, uh, well, John chapter 11, verse 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before Passover. They kept looking for Jesus as they stood in the temple area and they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming for Passover? And in chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus had lived. And then we, you follow this uh, chronology through the Gospels, verse 12, the next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, save now, Hosea na, say now, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I can't help but uh, think, I know we've mentioned several times, but uh, many of us last year and some of you in past years have gone to Israel. And just a little over a year coming up here, we were in Israel. And uh, one of the, of course, uh, key parts of your trip is your first journey to Jerusalem. And the same anticipation that, that we felt as we were coming toward the, the place where we were going to get our first look at Jerusalem, as the throngs of crowds came on Palm, what we call Palm Sunday, because they brought the palm fronds and waved them and announced the coming of the Messiah. Every Jewish male was supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year, no matter where you live. And that's quite an arduous journey. If you lived in Rome, or Spain, or Turkey, or Persia, or Egypt, three times a year, if possible, you were supposed to come to Jerusalem. And if possible, you brought your family. Literally a million people would converge on that city, this, the walled city about the size of Green Lake, about three miles around, 2.8 miles, a million people just converging, pressing, coming for Passover. As we travel, you travel from, uh, to Jerusalem from the east, as Jesus did, you, the, the landscape is like this. The landscape on the east side of the Judean hills toward the Jordan Rift, where the Jordan River goes through, is very dry. The highway goes up, 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 up. You're always going up toward Jerusalem. That's why whenever the Scripture talks about they went down to, it doesn't matter if they're going north or south, they went up to, it's because Jerusalem is a focal point. You're always going up because it sits up in the hills. It's a very, it's a very arid landscape. Um, I sometimes wonder, now the landscape has changed since Bible times. The Romans cut down every tree when they destroyed the, the country after the, the Jewish revolt and the second Jewish revolt, the Bar Kolba revolt. And I'm sure it is, but I often wonder when Moses and the children of Israel came and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, it's pretty arid on the east side. You come up toward Jerusalem as you drive up the highway. You get up into the Mount of Olives and the landscape becomes a little more, thanks Cliff, becomes a little more vegetative, a little more greenery. You see the trees, you can see the 
the highway coming up to Jerusalem. You, you travel on today. You're, you're leaving the eastern part where it's drier. And Jesus and his disciples traveled this area, maybe not exactly this road, but they traveled through this area as they made the journey uh, from Jericho down here up to Bethany, where it became their home away from home in Jerusalem. They didn't have a home there. Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And they continued that. And you come down toward the hill of the Mount of what called the Mount of Olives. You come down. This would be looking east, looking west into uh, the Kidron Valley. And you can see even today the vegetation, the greenery, and uh, it changes. And then as you come today, of course, you get to the point where you get your first glimpse of Jerusalem. Our, our guy was playing loud in our bus, at least in our bus, uh, the Holy City. The Holy City. And it got louder and louder as we came and turned the corner. And there it was. And of course today, you look out over the city of Jerusalem. And the focal point today that gets your course right away is the Dome of the Rock with the Golden Dome. Uh, that is your attention. This gathers your attention. The walls of Jerusalem around, again, about three miles around the city. Uh, down here on the southern side, the steps going up into the city. Uh, the eastern gate over here has been blocked up still even today. But this is the focal point. In the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the focal point would have been Herod's temple. And as Jesus and his, and his, and his group came, traveling together to east to west, and came down the Mount of Olives, and came down into the Kidron Valley, and this would be what they would see. Herod's temple. It was a beautiful temple. Outdid Solomon's temple by far. As they came in, the Jews were saying, is he going to come? Is he going to come? Is he coming to the temple? Is he going to come into the courtyards and preach? And Jesus came down and most likely probably went down here and came up the southern steps. This would have been the normal route, especially with the children crying as he came down. would have been the normal route to come into the city uh, from the south into the courtyard into Jerusalem. And just as we, we stood there and we took pictures and posed and everything and uh, looked out that city, looking east to west, I can imagine as the, as the disciples came with Jesus to Jerusalem for Passover and the crowds cheering and the children claiming and, and, the, and, the, and the Pharisees saying, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus saying, if they, I tell you, the stones would cry out. It was the king. It was the king of Israel. He was coming into his own he stopped and he wept over the city. He wept. He wailed. He didn't just sniffle and shed a tear with his handkerchief. He wailed. He wept over Jerusalem. It says only twice he did this. And he said, if, you would, if only you would have known the time of your salvation, but you would not. Look at it. It's left empty. Your temple is desolate. I would have gathered you, as we sang, with arms wide open. I would have gathered you with arms wide open, but you would not. And then he predicted their destruction. This is Palm Sunday. And I want to look at this morning, before we get to our verse for this week, which is not in John, but I want you to look at John chapter 12, after the events of Palm Sunday, after they came into Jerusalem. And after Jesus went in and overthrew the, the money changers, their, their tables, and told them they turned the house of prayer into a house of commerce and a house of robbers and thieves. And he, he comes into Jerusalem. In verse 23, and this, this takes place throughout the week. We're not sure exactly which day each of these events. You have to put all the Gospels together. 
But in verse 23, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless the kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it. The man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. My heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We come toward, I hope you can come and join us on Good Friday. It will be a one-hour service, as Gary mentioned this morning. We're going to have communion. Our choir is going to share. We're going to have two uh, communion short meditations. The focus will be on the communion service, as it is for Good Friday. And we are going to come and contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what should I say? He knew. He knew what lay before him. He knew the suffering that he was going to go through. The physical and the soulical as he, he bore the sins, your sin, my sin, on him on the, on the tree of Calvary. And he knew this, and, 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 and he anticipated, and, he, and he, it was coming each day, one day closer, one hour, one minute closer. But he says, no, I'm not going to ask that this not happen. This is why I came. And I want us to come Friday night and to really just contemplate, contemplate the price paid for our forgiveness for sins and salvation. And then Easter Sunday morning, we'll gather and we'll shout, hallelujah, he is risen. And we will sing together, we'll worship together, our choir is going to share with us. Invite a friend. People's hearts are open on holidays like Easter. Invite a friend to come with you. Invite a relative to come and join you for service on Easter Sunday morning. We have our peer group Sunday school and our classes and our fellowship time and speakers in each class. And come and join us for our one-hour service on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus says, I'm looking forward to this. Father, I'm not going to ask for you to take it away. The Lord, the voice from heaven, speaks. And there's more dialogue here. And I want you to notice verse 37. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. The blind have been made to see. People have been healed. They've been miracles. People have witnessed. They've seen it. The word has spread. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. We saw it. But even after all these miraculous signs and their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And we're speaking specifically of the leadership of Israel, those who sat in Moses' seat. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then again the narrative. For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes. He has deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Because he had to die. Jesus had to die. They were not going to accept him. And then the narrative continues. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, I want you to pay attention to this next paragraph. Yet, at that same time, many... Even among the leaders, this is the Pharisees and scribes, the Sanhedrin, many, not just a few, but many of them believed in him. It's the word believe. 
But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear of what they would they would for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Now I want to ask you this morning, if we were in a classroom setting in Sunday school, and have you break up in small groups and talk about this. What do you think? Were these believers? Were these believers? Would you consider these Pharisees and scribes, these many who it says, believed in him, but they would not confess their faith in him, but they had faith in him, but they would not openly confess it because of their fear of what it would cost them? Would you consider these men believers? Now, I understand Jesus has not died. He has not risen from the dead. This is not the body of Christ. They are not receiving Christ as their Savior as we do in the sense of putting our faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. It hasn't happened yet. But throughout the Gospels, those who place their faith in Him are accepted as believers in what they've accepted so far. They believe He's the Son of God, and they accept Him. John, we were told, He came into His own his, his own received him not, but to those who received him, to them he gave the power to become what? Children of God, sons of God. So would you count these Pharisees and scribes among the company of believers? What do you think? It says they believed. It said they had faith, but they would not confess it. What about these individuals? Now, I would like you to think about that in light of our memory verse for this coming week. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Now, granted, this is after the resurrection. They now, we now have the whole story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in Romans chapter 10, Paul begins, if you look at your Bibles in Romans chapter 10, Paul begins this section by saying, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is they may be saved. We, we see in chapter 9, Paul begins this section of 9, 10, 11. Those of you who have been in Bible study fellowship and you've worked through this section of Scripture, it's a powerful section of Scripture where Paul says that I could wish myself cursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, the Israelites, my brothers and sisters. I would give up my salvation. I really... You know, I think about that. Could I say that? Could I honestly say I would give up my eternal salvation for somebody else? Paul felt so strongly about this. And he says it again in chapter 10, my heart's desire and prayer for my fellow Jews that they would be saved. And then as he describes this, we need to look at this section beginning in verse 5. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteous, that is by faith, says, and he's going to quote here from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But he's going to, you'll notice there's some parentheses where he comments on this passage. This is typical Midrashic commentary by the rabbis. They would do this all the time. They would take old, just like we do. They would take Old Testament scriptures, and then they would, based on the principles, apply them to contemporary life. And so what he says, he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is Moses coming toward the end of his life before they go in the promised land. 
where he tells the children of Israel, do not quote, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? And in parentheses, Paul adds, that is to bring Christ down. Quote from Deuteronomy, who will descend into the deep? Parentheses. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Quote from Deuteronomy. The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. And our verse for this week, I'd like you to memorize. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13 Quote from Joel chapter 2, which was also quoted in Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost. Everyone who calls, calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it raises the question. These rabbis, these Pharisees and scribes, they believed in Jesus. But they would not confess their faith. Is salvation a two-step process? Is salvation, number one, believing, and number two, proclaiming publicly your salvation? This is kind of interesting. You know, he quotes, he quotes from, from Deuteronomy 30. It is not up in heaven, Moses says, so, so that you have to say and ask, and this is what he quoted, who will ascend into heavens to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea. So you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us? So we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. So you may obey it. And, and Paul, in applying this principle, this is not complicated, in applying this to the believers, when he says in parentheses, do not, do not say that who will go up and get Jesus and bring him down. Who will go in the depths and get Jesus and bring him up? What he's saying is it's the exact same principle. Moses says, listen, you don't have to go anywhere to get this. You don't have to go to heaven and do all you can to try and get God's blessing and word. You don't have to search the depths. No, God has given it to you with arms wide open. God has given you the word. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. You have it already. You don't have to go anywhere. Paul says the same thing. That's what Paul is saying. You, you don't have to go to heaven to get Jesus. You don't have to go to the depths to get Jesus. Jesus came to us. Christmas. Palm Sunday. Good Friday. And Easter. You don't have to go anywhere. That's why he's saying this. He's not spiritualizing it. He's using it to make a Midrashic, Rabbinic type teaching. It's here. But I want you to notice that the two things in this passage he quotes from in Deuteronomy, I've underlined the words there for you. I want you to notice that he uses, no, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. 
so you may obey it. Therefore, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to suggest to you, I'd like to suggest to you this morning, I don't think salvation is a two-step process. I think the reason he says it this way is because he's connecting it with Deuteronomy 30, where the key words are your mouth and your heart. But then he summarizes it at the end in verse 13 by saying, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, what? Be saved. So what I think Paul is telling us, my own personal understanding of this, because I have a hard time with it. I would have a hard time saying somebody here accepts the Lord. Maybe somebody this morning, Holy Spirit's opening your heart. But you don't tell anybody or confess it for two weeks. Are you saved or not? You know, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Should you confess it? Yes. It's the normal thing, right? It's the normal, natural thing for someone to become a believer in Christ and never, ever tell anybody or never proclaim it or never confess it. The word confess here is the word homologia, homologia. The word homo meaning same, logia, logia, logic, right? It, that's the two words. It means to agree to something the same. So to confess it means, really, it's like repentance. The confession is to God. God, I believe in my heart and I agree with your word that I am a sinner. That Jesus Christ died for me. He paid for my sin. I, homologia, I, I agree with this statement. We are in agreement on it. And I think as we confess to God and call on the name of the Lord, friends, we are saved. Should you proclaim it publicly? Yes, there are different ways. People have baptism. People have uh, testimonies. People do different things in different traditions to, to proclaim publicly what they've done. Okay? But when you are saved, you are saved. Would you expect that someone who genuinely has accepted Christ and their life has been changed, they've arms wide open, they've come in the arms of God, would you expect that that, that person at some point would tell somebody, yes, that is normal. You should give your testimony. You should tell somebody. You should proclaim it. But that is a result of your salvation. We need to do this. As a church, we need to do this more. I think we as a church, we should do this more. When someone comes to Christ, come up and give your testimony. Let's celebrate. Let's share in it. Let's proclaim it. It's good news. It's good news. But you call on the name of the Lord. Now, the reason I do this, I want to go back to the Gospel of John. I want to go back to the Gospel of John. What about these secret believers in Jesus Christ. Well, how did John know? Right? How did John know these guys were secret believers? Well, they must have told their story. And I'm sure that there was a time in their life where they would have to confess and say, yes, this was me. John, I didn't tell anybody because I was afraid of what it would cost me. 
But did these secret believers, were they really believers? I think they were. I think they were. I talked to you about this last Sunday. Who were those secret believers? We talked about this last Sunday. It's one of my favorite parts of the Easter story. As you go to the end of the Gospel story and go to chapter 19, we talked about this last week. Jesus is on the... Hey, His confessional believer, like Peter, right? What did Peter do when the servant girl says, Hey, you're one of his. I can tell by your accent from Galilee. What did, Jesus, what did Peter do? He cursed and swore. He used language he shouldn't have used. Up and down. I've never met the man. Three times. And where were the rest of the disciples? When Jesus died and they saw his life expire on the cross of Calvary and the blood flowed and he was dead and it was Passover. It was Passover. You don't ever leave a Jewish body on a cross at Passover. You don't ever do that. Even today, friends, Jews bury the next day. When my father died, they had to get rabbinic permission to do an autopsy before they would bury him. They had to get the rabbi's permission. And he wasn't even religious. But you would never leave. I mean, it would be the ultimate desecration to leave the body of Jesus on the cross. But who was going to take it down? Peter? John? James? The inner three? Who was going to take it down? They were nowhere to be found. John stood there at the cross. He, he tells us. Jesus said, Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. But he wasn't about to ask for permission. Who was it? Verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, who we learn in the other Gospels, was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. And it tells us in Luke that when they voted to kill him, he did not vote for it. He was against it. Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. But he didn't fear Pilate. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, 75 pounds. 75 pounds of embalming spices. I mean, these guys, in a matter of hours, went to the trouble of getting 75 pounds. Going to Pilate and associating themselves with Jesus and asking Him 
could we please take care of the body? And Pilate said, yes, you can. They had, the Romans aren't going to do it. They had to take his body off the cross. They had to pull the spikes out of the wood. They had to prepare his body for a decent burial, temporary as it was, before Passover came at 6 o'clock at night. Joseph and Nicodemus, secret believers in Jesus Christ. Did they confess? Did they confess their faith in Christ? Listen, friends, oh yeah. (laughs) They confessed when nobody else would. And what's my point this morning? My point is this. You know, every Sunday we gather and we spend time in God's Word. We worship, we sing, we fellowship. And almost every Sunday, not always, but almost every Sunday, you indulge me, whoever's up here, to take a few minutes and explain the gospel. Week after week after week, month after month after year. After year after decade, we've been doing this. Why do we do this? Most of you are believers. I know most of you. Probably, maybe close to 100%, I don't know. I'm sure it's in the 90s, are believers in Jesus Christ. But we do this. Why do we do this? Why do we keep doing this? Why is preaching the simple gospel of salvation so important? We had service for Brother Bruce Kemper last year, down last February, Judy. And they talked about how every service, every service, Bruce never ended the service without the gospel being presented. Simple. You don't have to drag it out. Why do we do this? I'll tell you why we do this. And I'll tell you why it's the same reason you need to do this. And I need to do this. And we should never get tired of it. And we should never give up. Because you don't know what God is doing in someone's heart. You don't know. John and Peter and James and Andrew and Bartholomew and Judas and Simon and Nathaniel, they would never have guessed that those members of the Sanhedrin, many of them, were secretly believers in Jesus Christ. Yes, they hadn't come to the point yet of telling people. I think they finally did. At least Joseph and Nicodemus did. I have no doubt about that. But they were believers in Christ. And friends, you don't know what God is doing in someone's heart. And you know what? I have a book in my office. I mentioned it in class this morning that our founding pastor, Pastor Peterson, when he somehow struck up this uh, male letter-writing dialogue with Bishop Fulton Sheen of New York. And I believe it was in his book, God Love You, that he makes this statement. I remember Pastor Peterson standing right up back here. Our pulpit was up here, right? And I remember Pastor Peterson preaching this uh, one Sunday night. I was sitting over there and took out his handkerchief, wiped the sweat off his head like he did, you know. 
he always would get, he's a hot communicator, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and I remember him, he, I don't think he was kind of pointing at me, but I was sitting over there right by one, two, third, third pillar right there where Francis, you're sitting there. I was sitting right there with my mom. And I clearly can remember him as clear as anything saying this. And he got this from Bishop Fulton Sheen. Never underestimate what God can do in the closing seconds of a person's life. Paul tells us in Corinthians, there is a day we will all stand before the beam of seat of Christ. There will be those who have known Christ for a long time and their works will be burnt up by fire because it was for themselves. But they will be saved. He says it. They will be saved. And if a person in the closing moments of their life, if the Holy Spirit opens their heart to something they heard from this pulpit, something they heard from your mouth, something you gave them to read, People have asked me, did your dad ever know Christ as Savior? You know what? I have no idea. I ought to say it's up to God. But I do know this. He came to Emmanuel because he loved music. He loved sacred music. And he came for the cantatas. And he heard the gospel. And it's the same with your family and your friends. Never underestimate. Let me ask you this. Do we have any examples in Scripture of this? Good Friday, three crosses, Son of God, and two thieves and robbers who deserved by Roman death, by Roman crime, to die. One hurling accusations and making fun of Jesus. And the other man, minutes before he dies, says what? Lord, remember me. When you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Huh? What did he say? This day you will be with me in paradise. Listen, friends. There's a reason why we will continue. And you should continue. To share the simple gospel. Arms wide open. What he's done for others. He can do for you. He will do for you. And never underestimate. Boy, might we be surprised when we stand in God's presence and sing His praises. We might be surprised. I'm sure we will be. Joseph and Nicodemus believed in Him. But at that time in their lives, they weren't ready to confess it. But they did. Say it with me. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, confess to God, say yes to God, homologia, agree with the logic of God, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And yes, tell us and tell somebody so we can celebrate and we can help you grow in your faith. Let's close our service. Mark, come on up. Lead our final song. Listen now. Susie gave me permission today. She said, Jim, if you're ever going to go along, go along today. Because the children are doing a big 
things he's been working hard on. They're right downstairs here having Passover. So uh, parents, um, if uh, you go down there after church and they're still kind of doing stuff, just be patient. Talk to each other. Go buy a pastry from the kids, something. Uh, but they're down there having Passover Seder right now. You wish you were down there joining them? We'll do it sometime. But not today. Everybody stand, please. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You're going to join us Good Friday and Easter morning. Invite someone to come and share that time with you. We'll share the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for arms wide open that we can come and call you our Father. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Holy Spirit dwells within and goes with us each day. And Lord, we pray as a family of God this morning, we pray if there is one person here today who honestly has to say, I have never received Christ's payment for my sins. I ask, Lord, that you would enable them right now to confess with their mouth to you, to acknowledge and to agree with you that they need salvation and that Jesus died and paid for their sin and rose from the dead victorious over death. They would call upon your name and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Dismiss us with your blessing, rejoicing, and celebrating once again Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. Amen.